Very good. How are we doing? We all feeling clean? Feeling loved? Yeah, we talked about cleaning feet and love of Zacchaeus. All right, I don't know where Shara was, but you know. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, because I know you do, right? <coughs> Go to the Old Testament to Second Kings chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you, then, you know, pick up your phone. Type in 2 Kings chapter five, chapter 4, sorry. If you don't have your phone with you, you can just listen. Or turn to the person next to you and say, let me read yours. 2 Kings chapter 4. King, Kings, is about, Kings is about halfway between Genesis and Psalms. It's really good to be able to see for yourself what God's word says. All right? Yeah, you with no excuses whatsoever. <coughs> nice to know my daughters follow the good example and, you know, have my son, well, my children, obviously. They come prepared. All those times I've walked out here and halfway through the service gone, oh, where's my Bible? Oh, that's right. But let me tell you a story about Elisha. Elisha was a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and he was a pretty amazing guy. God did a lot of miracles through him. He seemed to send him to a lot of widows, and he would help the widows a lot. You read through Second Kings, he always seems to be helping widows raise their children back to life, praying over marriages that they will have children and doing these amazing miracles, stopping it raining, seeing it rain again. But this one here is interesting because... Elisha had like a school of the prophets. So he had his own like uh, university going and these guys would come along and they would learn how to be prophets of the Lord, how to hear God speak and how to be able to minister. And they would help him because the prophets back then, um, they didn't have a king. Well, at this point they did, but the prophets would often go through the land and they would be God's voice to the people. Okay? The awesome thing about today is that God speaks straight to you. All right? You don't need a prophet to tell you. You know, someone who has that gift of prophecy and they hold a meeting, people flock up. A lot of people wear red or yellow shirts to them. You ever wonder why? Because you stand out in the crowd and they hope to get picked out. Because they want a word from God. They want a prophecy. And it's a little bit sad because you don't have to do that. You can just say, hey, God, I need you to speak to me and guide me. I need you to show me how to move forward in this. Do you know that? Just close your eyes and step into heaven. <laughs> Father, we thank you. We just want to be in your presence. We thank you for your joy. Thank you this is the happy place. We just want to be in a happy place with you, Father. We just step into your presence. We walk in your joy. <coughs> We ask Holy Spirit revelation in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Second Kings chapter four. So Elisha says, a certain woman of the of the wives of the sons of the prophets. So this is a prophetic school that he rang. Cried out to Elijah and say, "Your servant, my husband, is dead." 
And you know the servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So this woman comes, she says, my husband was in your university. He was learning to be a prophet, and he died. He didn't just die, he died leaving us in debt. And now to pay my debt back, back in this time, to pay your debt, what they would do was they would come and they would take away your children and they would either throw them in prison or become slaves to work off the debt that you owed. And she's got no way of paying this debt. Now here you go, let me give some practical advice here. Check your life insurance. All right? If you died today, would you leave debt? If you have debt, would you leave debt for somebody else to have to handle? Or does your life insurance cover it? Just a practical tip. All right? Check your superannuation. It's really easy. That's my practical tip of the day. Get excited about it. You can look at your superannuation where you pay life insurance and make sure that it actually covers your debt. But see, this guy is interesting that's died because he's a part of Elisha's school. Elisha was not a big fan of debt. Elisha probably taught to stay out of debt. And this guy, even though he was in Elisha's school, didn't get it. And I was thinking about why didn't he get it? Why has this guy died leaving debt? He's sitting around one of the the most noted prophets of God in history. Who did some amazing things. I mean... He, he was, Elisha was a protege of Elijah. Elijah did things like some guy, you know, is chopping bone by the river and his axe drops in the water, his iron axe head. And he freaks out because he says, I borrowed that from my neighbour. So Elisha walks over to the river, throws a stick in the river and the axe head flows to the top. Elisha's a protege of this... There is no debt. He taught, hey, this is how you get into the presence of God and walk in the power of God so you don't have to walk in debt. And this guy didn't get it. He didn't get it because he came in and he didn't listen to what was being said to him. He picked and chose what he heard God say through this guy. And we can get like that. I can remember once being in this powerful meeting and, and God's moving and there were healings and there, was, there were manifestations of God's power everywhere and one of the guys sitting there and his response was, oh yeah, I've seen it all before. And I thought, how sad can you be to be in the presence of God and you become hard-hearted because you go, I've seen God do that before. I don't care if you've seen God do it before. I want God to do it again and again and again and again. You see, we can miss what God is saying and what God is doing in our life because... We're always looking for something else. We're always looking for what our agenda is. Or we're looking for what our situation is and we miss what God is actually doing. And we miss what God is actually saying. Does that make sense? And we need to take the shutters off and go, what is God doing? It's a bit like, a bit like surfing. Now, I never really surfed in my life. I grew up in the desert. The nearest wave was four hours away, all right? I used to surf down sand dunes. I've body surfed, but surfing was never my thing. But one thing I noticed about surfing, I was on the Gold Coast once. I remember we were in this apartment up high, and I was watching these guys surfing. And there was one guy who was, you know, everyone's sort of here, 
where the waves were breaking and catching waves. And there was one guy further out. <coughs> and I reckon this guy was waiting for that big wave. And he wanted to be the first one on this big wave. And for an hour he sat out there and did not ride a wave. In fact, the whole time I watched him, he didn't get one wave. Because he wasn't where the waves were breaking. He wasn't where it was happening. And that's how we can be. We can, be, we can actually miss what God's doing because we have this idea in our mind of what God should do and how God should do it. And so we position ourselves for that and we miss what God is actually doing. You see, if you need God to do something in your life, don't tell him how to do it. It's like when we went to the US recently. Now, I sat down about two days before we went, and I went, God, this is serious. I'm about to take my family, all seven of us, well, except for a couple we left behind, but, you know, they're going to South Africa, so no sympathy from me. (laughs) But there's seven of us going over there, and I worked out that we were at least, at least 10,000, probably more realistically, about $15,000 short. Now, that's not a small amount of money, right? And I'm sitting there going, God, I don't know how we're going to do this because I've worked this out every which way. <coughs> and I can't get this under about, it was about 12 or 13. So we said 15,000 to be safe. Because you always take more money than you think you need, right? The rule is take less luggage, especially jumpers. <laughs> Nine jumpers, really? Nine jumpers. But you always take less luggage and more money. And I worked out that we're about twelve to $15,000 short. And I'm going, two days before, I'm stressed out. I'm going, God, we need another like 10, 12, 15,000. I'll, I'll set off for 10. We can make it work at 10. We need another $10,000. And God just says, okay, I got this. And I'm going, yeah, righto. Easy for you. <laughs> Ever felt like that? Easy for you, God. And we get in the plane and we go over and so on. And you know what? And this is interesting because each of the kids, all three, we said they had to contribute a certain amount of money as well towards their trip because they all worked. Now, it's partly my fault because I'd said to them, they said, do you want us to transfer the money? I said, look, just hold this until you know, we know what's happening. Just hold your money and you can transfer it while we're over there or it's fine. Now, the older two girls transferred their money when it was right. Ben, I forgot to say transfer your money. So I take that bit of responsibility. But Ben, but the other two girls are going to say, came and said, do you want the money now? And I said, yes, that'd be good. Ben didn't. <coughs> so I'm actually, I remember taking off and looking at the bank balance and everything else and going, it's not even, it's about two or $3,000 short. And I'm going, that doesn't even make sense to me. But it's okay, look, I'm just doing this, you know. So I'm not now at about ten, twelve thousand. We've gone up another couple of thousand. So anyway, we're travelling through the US and, you know, God's making way and so on. And, you know, then we get to the point, we actually got down to Florida. The second last stop. And we wanted to go to Disney World. And I'm looking at the bank balance and there's enough money to go to Disney World in the account, but for nothing else. And we've still got two weeks to go. Now that's a big deal, right? And I'm going, hmm, God. And you guys just keep saying to me, I got this. 
And I'm going, that's good, can you give it to me? <laughs> He's going, got this. <coughs> you can remember at the start, I said, God, I need another $10,000, $12,000. It's the wrong prayer. You see, because I was telling God how to solve my situation. You know what? I never at any time needed that extra ten dollars to $12,000. Because he had another way of dealing with it. Anyway, back to the story. We're, we're driving, we're in Florida and we're driving down to where we're staying and going along and, and Shara, Shara lent Ben a little bit of the money that he had to pay because he didn't work as much and so on and she was feeling rich. <coughs> anyway, Ben made some, some, ben made some joke and, um, and Shara said, oh, be careful because you owe me the money. And he says, well, I can pay you right now if you want. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Where did you get that money from? <laughs> driving along. And he says... Yeah, because, you know, I haven't given Daddy's money because he has enough for it. And I went, what? <laughs> he says, yeah, I figured I'd just hold it till you got home and be surprised when you got home. I thought, I don't need it when I get home. So I was like, Ben, would you mind transferring the money, please? So there's a couple of thousand dollars. But you know what? I'm still sitting there going... How do we get through the rest of this trip? <coughs> but this is how God works. See, see you learn when you, when you pray. When you come to God, don't come with your blinkers on telling him how to do it. You need to bring the problem with him. Actually, you need to bring the solution to him. God, this is what I need to happen. What do I need to happen? I need God to get us around the US to take care of all our needs while we're on there, to actually look after our wants, to have a good time, and to bring us home safely. That's what I needed. But I didn't come with that. I came and I said, God, I need ten dollars to $12,000. I never, ever got my ten dollars to $12,000. But I got a richer experience. I got a richer holiday. I got to meet people I would never have met if I had that ten dollars to $12,000. We got to experience people. You know, we got to stay in a place called Lake Gage, which is near Chicago. Near two hours. All right. And we got to stay in a place with a guy who 20 years ago, he and his wife did a tour of parts of Australia and New Zealand. And it was one of the life-changing experiences for him and one of his best memories with his wife. They call him Papa Ray. And two years ago, his wife died. And to quote his granddaughter, he hasn't really been happy since. He's just been waiting to die because he missed her so much. And we rock up because, one, our accommodation gets cancelled that we've got planned on the morning that we're supposed to stay at it. And so we pick up this car, you know anything about Buffalo? Buffalo's here, Chicago's there. We knew we had to be in Chicago by a date. So we picked up this car in Buffalo and I said to Dale, I'm just going to drive that direction towards Chicago. Here's my phone. See what you can find. If you can't find anywhere, we'll just stay in some motel, and you know, which is not ideal, but we'll make it work. And she finds this place where Papa Ray is, and we're able to stay there, and we rock up to this place. And this guy has wanted for 20 years to give back what was given to him while he was in Australia and New Zealand. Because when he came to Australia and New Zealand, people looked out for them, people took care of them, people made space for them, people enriched it, and he wanted to relive that experience with his wife and give back. And so he took us in... He took us in like his, like his own family. 
He said, stay an extra night for free on me. He made meals for us. He got the bikes out of the shed, his grandkids' bikes, and said, here, go and ride the bikes around the lake and have fun. Here's a basketball. Go across there. Do this, do this. And he, it just became family time. And when we left, his granddaughter messaged us about a day later, and she says, I want to say thank you for coming and staying with us. Now, people don't usually say thank you for that, you know, except for the money. She said, I want to thank you. She said, I dropped in about an hour after you left, just to quickly drop in five minutes later. So I left about three or four hours later. Because as I walked in, Papa Ray said to me, come sit down, let me tell you about my Australian family. She says, we've seen him smile. She says, he was crying and laughing at the same time. You see, God's got a bigger plan than what you think. I'm thinking I need $10,000. God's going, no, no, I'm going to enrich your experience and someone else's while I'm at it. I'm going to change your life and their life as well. And that's actually one of the highlights of our trip is being in this beautiful location, because it's a very stunning place to go, in the middle of nowhere to change somebody else's life. You see, God has a bigger agenda, but we often miss what God's agenda is for us because we're focused on our problem and how we think it should be fixed. And that's the problem when we pray because we come to God and we say, God, I need you to do this. He doesn't need to do that. He says, bring your needs, but we bring our needs and then we bring our script of this is how it should be fixed. And he goes, no, that's not how I want to do it. I've got a richer way of doing this. Now, see, this woman comes to Elisha. And she's got this problem with this debt. She's about to lose her son. She's grieving in three ways. She's grieving because she's lost her husband. She's grieving because she's realised she's got this debt she can't pay back in any way. And she's grieving because she's about to lose her sons. <coughs> and I was thinking, what would the church do today? You know what the church would do today? Oh, here's our aid program. Go and see our welfare arm. I'll give you a food hamper. Have a nice day. Isn't that how we deal with it? Isn't that how the church deals with things today? Because we've accepted situations as, oh, that's just normal, that's your problem, you got yourself into it, this is what we do. But you know what? I've worked out that's not the way God does things. As Jesse Duplana said, as I listened to his sermon last week, he says, in Mark eleven twenty three says, 22 says, have faith in God. And it says, if you have a mountain in your life, it says, speak to the mountain and tell it to be cast into the sea. And he says, if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you say, it'll be done. But you know what we've started to do as a church, as, as a Christian community? When there's a mountain, we try and make mountain climbers. We were never actually meant to be mountain climbers. We're supposed to be mountain movers. But we've made a religion out of climbing mountains. We've said it's okay to have mountains in your life. And you can conquer that mountain. You can climb it. You can get to the top. But you know what? When you get to the top, all you are is still on top of the mountain. The problem is still there. You're just sitting on it. It doesn't move the mountain. It doesn't take the mountain out of your life. 
It has put you in the middle of it. You ever thought about that? You climb a mountain, what are you doing? You are at the middle of the mountain. You're actually further away from everything else. We were never told to climb mountains. We were told to move mountains. But we've accepted mountains as normal. We've been lulled into this, it's okay, you're getting on top of your mountain. (coughs) You know, we would have said to this woman, tell you what, we'll make you this month's payment for you. And here's a food hamper. And that's fantastic. But what happens next month? Because we've learned to accept mountains. God is saying to you today, stop it. Get the mountain out of your life. Start being open to what God has for you. And that's what Elisha does. Elisha says to her, so what shall I do? You tell me, what have you got? Now, this is really key. Let me read to you what it says, then I'll go with it. She says, look, I haven't got much, but I've got a jar of oil. All I've got in my house is a jar of oil. So she's got nothing. Elisha says, cool, here's what I want you to do. Now, this is what gets me. This solution was available to her husband while he was alive. If he'd come and said, I'm in debt, I need help. Elisha could have said to him, hey, what have you got? But he didn't. He wouldn't humble himself. He let his pride and arrogance get in the way rather than doing what he could do. And what could he do? He could come to Elisha and say, this is what I've got. He could come to God and say, God, what can I do? Because you see, God will use what you have to bring the miracle about. When we're going away, you know, we're sitting there going, God, we're short. And you know what God said to us? He said, what have you got? I want you to give $1,000 away. I went, I don't think you heard the problem. The problem is we're about ten to 12,000 shorts. He said, cool, sow a seed. Give $1,000 away. I didn't get excited by that. You know what my response was? Okay, that's what we're going to do. It. You see, God tells you to do stuff. And it pushes your button. He'll push it because he wants you to rely on him. Because you got into the problem by relying on yourself. Have you thought about that? When you relied on your strength, you ended up where you are now. That's a bit depressing, isn't it? And extremely humbling. You are where you are because of what you've said and done. And you can blame somebody else all you like. But the reality is, you dug that hole. Oh, but this, oh, but that. Yeah, true. But you still made the decisions that put you where you are. Now it's time to go to God and say, okay, God, how do we get out of this? And he's going to say to you, what have you got? What have you got? And so we went to him. He said, what have you got? He said, I want you to give $1,000 of it away. Because it's what we had. And so he did. And we got back many thousands more in just blessing and free accommodation and food coming in and ridiculous airfares. 
You see, I learned halfway through how to change how you pray. We were in Washington and we had to get down to, to Orlando in Florida and we looked at the airfares and, you know, it was going to cost us over, you know, nearly $1,500. And I sort of went, I don't really want to spend $1,500 because that's the money we're going to go to Disney World with, you know, it's sort of pointless going to Florida if you don't go to Disney World, it's sort of, you know, what you do. And, um, and we, Dale and I are going, okay, God, you got this. You've shown us all through that you've got this. So we're just going to go, you know what, God? We need to get from here to Florida. Show us how to do this. And you know what he said to me? He said, go to bed. We'll sort it in the morning. Now, I'm actually really proud of myself at this point. Because that's what we did. But you see, he'd already set it up because that day we were walking through Washington <coughs> and we'd sort of walked quite a distance because we were really close to the centre of Washington. And I said to the guys, I said, look, let's not do the museums today. Let's just do the outdoor stuff and just walk the distance. And we walked about, was about 17 k's that day? All right? It was some serious walking. Especially when you consider how big Isaac is, you know. But we walked, we did, we did the, the far away stuff that day. Because the next day we woke up, I picked up my phone. There's an airfare that the day before was like $150 each for 30 bucks. Seven seats, $30 leaving that night. I went to Dale, I said, what do you reckon? She said, let's do it. So we bought the tickets there and then, which meant that we only had, we had less time because we were actually leaving like about you know, 12 hours earlier than what we were going to. But it was really cool because we'd already set it up so all we had to do was do the museums, which are really close to where we were. We didn't have to walk the long-distance stuff. So we didn't miss anything. We got to see everything we wanted to see, and we got to where we're going for like $250 rather than $1,500. You see, when you leave it in God's hands, he takes care of it. And that's what this woman does. Elisha says, okay, you've got some oil. Here's what you've got to do. Go and see all your neighbours and get every container you can. Grab their Tupperware. Get their pot plants. Whatever it takes. Get every container you can find. Bring it into your house and then just pour oil into it. Now think about this. This woman has to go to her neighbour, knock on the door and say, hey, you got any spare containers you're not using? Sure, what do you want it for? I'm starting to collect containers. I'm doing a container collection. Recycling. What do you say? I want to fill it with oil. Okay. (coughs) But she does this. She gets the containers. Then she brings them into her house. And she starts pouring. And she does a smart thing here. It says she closed the door. Now, when God tells you to do something, it's really important that you close the door afterwards. Because you see, if you don't close the door and you start, she starts pouring that oil, some neighbour's going to come stick their head in because they want to know why you've got all their containers. And they're going to see you pouring this oil out and they're going to go, you're mad, what are you doing? It doesn't work like that. You can't pour a little jar of oil into a big thing of oil. You're just going to waste oil. It's not going to go. You know, if I'd said to people, we don't have enough money to go, some people have said to me, you sure you should be going? Maybe you should cancel your trip. 
Oh, you guys are crazy. You're mad. You can't do that. Now, I'm not saying that good, godly common sense goes out the window. Understand that. All right? I know people who, God's going to take care of me, so they quit their job and sit on their butt doing absolutely nothing. And they wonder why things go wrong. Because God still told us to work. All right? But sometimes when God tells you to do something, (coughs) choose who you share that with. Yeah, feel free. Come and talk to us. We can talk about it with you. We'll pray it through with you. But don't share it with those people you know are going to go, you are stupid, you are crazy, you are mad, you can't do this. So she goes in, she starts pouring the oil. And it fills up all the containers. And when she gets the last one, she says to her son, bring me another container. And the son says, there's no more. And the oil stops flowing. You know what's cool about that? God doesn't waste anything, does he? He gives you exactly what you need. And so she goes back to Elisha and says, okay, I've filled them all up. What do I do with it? And he says, sell it. Pay off your debt. I like this. And live off the rest, you and your sons. You see, God didn't just go, let me take care of your debt. He said, let me take care of your debt and the rest of your life and the rest of your sons' lives. Absolutely. Because it says a good man lays up wealth for his children and his children's children. You want to be good? That's what you do. You see, there's a couple of things I really want us to take away from this. Firstly, stop sitting on your mountain. (coughs) It's not godly to sit on your mountain and to maintain your mountain. You can dress it up as pretty as you like. But God never made you to sit on your mountain. If you're sitting on sickness, if you're sitting on debt, you're sitting on a financial situation, you're sitting on a relationship problem, stop sitting on it. And start speaking to it. Secondly, you're going to have doubts. But I like what Mark 11 says. It says, and does not doubt where? In his heart. Your head will doubt. My head doubts. My head tells me that I am really stupid sometimes. My head tells me that this cannot work. My head was telling me that I can't take seven people all the way to America on the budget that we took and do what we did. But you know what? Down here, in my heart, I knew. I remember when I gave my car away. My head was screaming at me, every problem. But God had spoken to me and says, I want you to take your car, I want you to give it to this person because I needed a bigger car. Because my job required me to tow a trailer that was full of stuff and the car I had was not going to tow that trailer. It was a big twin axle thing full of all this heavy equipment. And I didn't have the money to buy a new car. And God said to me, great, sew the car you've got. And I went, I have children to get to school. We lived here. Our children went to school in Vic Park. There was no train line. There were buses. (coughs) My head told me every reason why I shouldn't do it. 
But my heart knew that that's what God was saying. And I didn't doubt in my heart. I may have doubted in my head. But you know what? I speak to my head. I speak the word of God to my head and I tell it. I say, shut up and you follow my spirit. Because my spirit's in line with God's spirit. Jesse Plano says, doubt your doubts. This is a really cool thing to do. When doubt comes, you say to doubt, I doubt it. Because it confuses the devil. He can't handle it. It actually works. I was doing this week. I was sitting there. I was sitting down and, and these thoughts started bombarding me over something. And I went, you know what? I doubt that's true. And I could actually feel the devil going, what? I said, I doubt that's true. Because, you know, I doubt that this will happen and that will happen. And you know what? Depression just lifted. Because... Satan is the bringer of doubts, and he doesn't want it to do if you doubt him. You beat him in his own game. It says what you believe in your heart. So we gave that car away. And there was no physical way that we could ever receive, go and purchase the car that we needed. And God said to me, okay, what sort of car do you require? And I said, this is what I require. He said, anything you'd like to add to it? I said, look, I'd love it if it had this, a few other extra features, just because I'd like those extra features. And within a, a few weeks, we received a check and were able to go and buy cash, the car that God had for us. That was exactly the model, the year, with all the extra features that I wanted. Now my head screamed at me the whole time, sitting on the bus, taking kids to school, my head would scream at me. Borrowing people's cars to go and visit people as a pastor. My head would scream at me. And I felt stupid sometimes. I felt ridiculous. There were times my head were going, this is not working. (coughs) But in my heart I knew. Because I can have what I say. So what do you say? I just kept speaking. Not, I don't have a car. I just kept speaking, I thank you, Father, for my new car. I thank you, Father, you got this sorted. You see, you have to sow a seed. You have to believe in your heart. So stop sitting on your mountain and start speaking to it and tell it to go where it should go. Where should a mountain go? Into the sea. It's all about what you see. It's all about what you see. Do you see life on the other side of the mountain? That's what you speak. And let God take care of the details. If you have a mountain, speak to it. Secondly, believe in your heart. Thirdly, keep speaking the result. Don't start speaking the rubbish. Fourthly, what have, you got in, what have you got that God's asking you to use? Because you're going to have to give a seed somewhere. Because that's what God works with. He takes what you've got and he uses that. And he does it in sometimes the strangest ways. 
Number five is don't presume. God's got it, not you. All right? You just have to do what he says. Don't think you've seen it before. Don't think you know how it's going to happen. You know, I was having a conversation with a young lady the last 24 hours about guys. You know, thinking about husbands and things like this. And you know what? I realised as we were talking that she'd worked out who the guy was and how it was all going to happen. And I said, don't work like that. And they said, well, you got what you asked for. Yeah, but I didn't ask for Dale. (laughs) I got better than I asked for. (coughs) I didn't have a person in mind. I went to God and I said, God, this is what I believe in my heart you have for me as a wife. And so I'm asking for that. I asked for character things. And you know what's the amazing thing? See, I, I asked out of my heart. I said, God, make me aware of what's in here. And there were certain things that I really felt God laid on my heart that I needed in a wife. And that's what I asked for. And you know the cool thing about God is he improves on what you ask of. Dale said to me once, she says, how do some people have problems in their relationships and, you know, get separated and stuff? She says... See, what's going on there? I said, the problem with the guy is they didn't marry you. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Jealousy, it's a terrible curse. Anyway, let me wrap up and say, let God be God. If you have a mountain in your life, take it to him. Ask him what he wants you to do about it and do whatever he tells you. It's going to stretch you beyond belief. But he has a solution to your problem. You got yourself into it, let him get you out of it. And then act upon what he says. And then don't tell him what to do, just thank him that it's done. And when your mind starts screaming at you, and the bank starts ringing you, or the doctor starts giving you something, or your relationship starts going haywire, don't let your mind take over. Step back, zip your lip if you can't say something good. And to the point where you can say, I thank you, God, that this is done. Because faith is believing what is not seen in the natural. And you thank him, this is done. It may not look like your debt's paid off, it doesn't matter, it's done. It may not look like you're healed. doesn't matter. It's done. Because that's what God's word says. It's done. So you thank him like it's done. Yeah? Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I thank you that you do love us. We thank you that you gave us Jesus who died for us so that we could have life eternal. That you didn't, live, didn't create us to live in the shadow of the mountain, Father. You even make us to climb the mountain. Lord, you made us to destroy the mountain so that we could be free. So, Father, I pray revelation on every person here that we will see what you have for us. 
we will see your way of overcoming. That we will see what we have in our hands that we can use for your glory. I pray revelation, Father, that we can be all that you made us to be. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.